How beautiful heaven must be. There's so many things that bring us pain and anguish here that will not ever even enter or even be felt up there. The Apostle John in Revelation chapters 21 and 22 gave us several little snapshot statements regarding the things that will and praise God the things that will not be found in heaven. For example, he says in Revelation 21 verses 22 and 3, I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. This is why the created universe can be destroyed at the end of time when the final judgment occurs, is because the sun and the moon will no longer be needed. They were part of creation for the physical world to govern certain things here, but or to, to affect certain things here, but they won't be needed anymore. Revelation 22 and verse 3 says there shall be no more curse. Sin won't be able to be in it. Wouldn't that be wonderful to have a life without sin and without Satan and without temptation? I mean, think about it. There will be no more curse. And then verse 5 of Revelation 22 goes on to echo what we already talked about. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign with him forever and ever. And John continues in chapter, or, or he also says in chapter 21 in verse 27 as he continues with another snapshot, there shall by no means enter it, that means the holy city, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those people down here who reject God outright and reject Him all of their life and, and cause so many problems and, and just live for themselves and their own agenda and don't want anything to do with God and never will have anything to do with God, they won't be there. They won't be there to annoy and to hurt and to deny God. And finally... In Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4, it says, God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death. Wouldn't that be awesome? No funerals. There'll be no funeral homes in heaven. There'll be no more death nor sorrow, nor crying. There'll be no more pain for the former things that passed away. And I, I want you to just languish over that last part of that for a moment. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more death or crying. Brethren, when we get to heaven, in heaven there will be no more school shootings, no more terrorist attacks, no more needless paranoia, nor even the evening news in heaven. It won't be there. There will be no more satanically induced aborting, abusing, nor abandoning of children there. Won't that be glorious? There will be no more homeless teenagers, no more drug addicts, no more veterans having to live on the streets. There'll be no more hospitals. 
No more cancer wards. No more nursing homes. No more correctional facilities. In heaven there will be no canes. There will be no walkers. There will be no amputees. There will be no more oxygen machines. There will be no more drug companies. All of those things will not be in heaven. Because they won't be needed. There will be no further need of painkillers, prescription drugs, prayer lists, prison cells, or protective orders. There will be none of that stuff in heaven. It won't. How beautiful heaven must be. Revelation chapter 21, if you'd open your Bibles there with me for just a moment, I want to read to you the first five verses to kind of summarize that which I've said already. Revelation chapter 21, John, during this time of terrible persecution of the church, is trying to encourage them and he's letting them know this vision that he saw from God and it says... Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. The ocean will be gone. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every, te every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. He who sat on the throne said this. Stop and think about that. Think about this God who cannot lie. Think about him. He said this. And then he says, Write, for these words are true and faithful. What does that mean? That means you can take this to the grave and beyond. This is going to happen. It is more certain than the fact that you are sitting here breathing this morning because of who promised it. But having said all of that, there's something else that, from everything I've studied, won't be in heaven either, but it's even harder to imagine. Something else that won't be in heaven that we haven't mentioned yet, but might be even harder to get our minds around. What is it? Time. Time. I want you to really think about that for a minute. Why is it so hard to get our minds around that time won't exist in heaven? Because everything that you and I are and do and participate in, every second of everything we are and do and live on earth, is time determined. Think about it. Everything that we do. Everything we do is time determined. It is time sensitive. It is time governed. Everything we do. We're born, we get old, we die. We have calendars, we have appointments, time goes by whether we want it to or not. We can't save time. We can't, we can't bottle it up and say it, it just keeps going. But every second of every day, the things we do are time determined. But here's the thing. God operates in a realm, God operates in a world that is totally and completely above the reach of time. And I don't know if we can get our minds around that. God operates in a world wherein time, either as a reality or even a concept, doesn't exist. It's not there. 
where we live in a world where in the passage of time is just the opposite. It governs and permeates every iota of our existence. But heaven is just exactly the opposite. Now, I'm not sure we can even begin to comprehend a world without time where time doesn't go by. And I'm certainly no expert on it. But I want to share with you some things this morning that you might not have thought about regarding this. Having said that, I'm going to try to get us to think about it because I believe if, that if we can begin to grasp it, if we can really begin to get our minds around the fact that time does not exist in heaven, it is going to give us a greater appreciation for the grace of God. You'll see what I mean by the time we get there. We, I think we'll have a greater appreciation for His grace and for what He's done for us in Christ Jesus if we can just get our minds around that there's no such thing as time passage in heaven. I also think that if we can get our minds around that, it'll help us to understand both the Scriptures and our own need for greater acting on His promises as well if we truly want to get to that place where time does not exist to wait and wear us down. First thing I'm going to ask you to do is open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. The first thing we need to try to understand is that time has not always existed. Time has not always gone by. Time has not always existed according to the scripture. The scripture itself proves that time has not always passed and existed. Not everything can be measured in terms of time for that very reason. Time, the whole concept of time, had a very definite starting point prior to which it did not exist. The scriptures prove this. 2 Timothy chapter 1 probably help if I was there in my Bible as well. 2 Timothy chapter 1, let us begin in verse 8. Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Right there in your own Bibles, before time began. Highlight that phrase. God had a plan in place before time ever existed or started or began. Before there was such a thing as the passage of time, God had a plan in place to give us his grace in Christ Jesus. This is very similar to what it says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 where it tells us that God had this plan in place before the foundation of the world. Before he built the physical world, God knew before he built it what we were going to do, what his creation was going to do. And so he had this plan in place. Again, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 as well as Ephesians 3, 8 through 11. Before he laid the foundation of the world. Well, this passage tells us similarly that when God created that physical world, or it indicates to us that when God created that physical world, he also created time to go with that physical world to help determine those physical things. But there was a time prior to when time began. I know it sounds like a contradiction, but time had a definite starting point. 
2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. We'd also see this in the book of Titus. Flip forward a couple of pages to the book of Titus. Look what Paul says. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. There you have that phrase again, before time began. I'm not sure we can all understand it. I'm not sure I totally understand it. I'm giving you just some things to think about and the best I understand it after having studied it. But one thing is undeniable. The scripture proves that time had a definite starting point and there was something previous to when time actually existed because the scripture says twice in the New Testament before time began. Time had a definite beginning point. What was it? Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Science informs us that there are five elements that are necessary to creation. Creation of anything. These five elements are time, energy, force, space, and matter. Science says that you cannot have the creation of anything unless you have time, energy, force, space, and matter. All five of those elements are contained in the very first sentence of Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was time in the beginning. There was energy, God. There was force, God created there was space, the heavens, and there was matter, the earth. All five of those are in the very first sentence of Scripture. If I may put it a different way, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, that is where time began. That is where the physical world began, in the beginning, God created. That is also the point at which time began, as we've already read in 2 Timothy and Titus. But prior to the Genesis 1-1 point, where God created and brought time into existence, creating it as a means to govern and measure the elements of the physical world he had created, prior to that point, time had neither passed, nor was spent, wasted, valued, or even seen in existence in the spiritual realm. You know, this is why we have such a problem trying to explain to atheists and those who deny God the creation account. Stop and think about it for just a minute. You know, sometimes those who want to deny the existence of God, when we try to tell them in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, okay, well where did God come from? Who created God? What happened in the time before? The thing they don't understand is there was no time before that. There was no, there was, time did not exist prior to the creation. Time had a definite beginning point. Time was a creation of God and the passage of time was a creation of God in the beginning in order to govern this physical world that he created. It was a part of his creation. Not something that he was subject to that existed prior to that. Did the earth exist before he created the earth? No. Did the heavens exist before he created the heavens? The ones that we see, the physical heavens? No. Did time exist before God created it to govern all of that? Not according to the scripture. 
What did Jesus say he was in Revelation 1, verse 8 and verse 11? He said he was the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. What is he trying to get across? He's trying to get across in that very passage. Look, I'm not governed by time. Time has no effect on me. I was before time, I'll be after time, and I'm here during time. Now, I want us to stop and think about some supporting, because I know this is kind of a, this isn't something we talk about a lot, but it's got a lot of wonderful application that we'll get to. What I want for us to understand in support of the statements I've made is this. The spiritual realm is still not governed or tainted or touched by the passing of time. And we see this in a lot of scriptural references. We see it in references like... The scripture reading, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. What does that mean? That means to God, time does not matter. God operates above the reaches of time. A day and a thousand years are the same to him. The passage of I mean, God doesn't get old. God doesn't age. He always was. He always is. He always will be. And a day or a moment is no different than a millennia or the passing of a thousand years. Time does not exist in the spiritual realm where God is. Turn to me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, if you would please. We'll notice this from several different passages here, just to reinforce and validate that which I've already said. Exodus chapter 3, it's throughout the Bible, if you look for it, you'll find it. It's like one of those things where you go out and you buy a car, like you think, wow, nobody in town's got one of these, and as soon as you own one, you see 35 of them that all look just like yours. You know, it's one of those things, so as soon as you start looking for them, you see them. These are things we need to start looking for, and we will see it in regard to the fact that God operates above the realm of time. Exodus 3, beginning at verse 13, says this, out of the burning bush, Moses... In the burning bush here in, in Exodus 3, it says in verse 13, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to say to you, And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. What is he saying? I am. No matter what time zone you live in, God is. God operates above time. He was present tense to Abraham. He was present tense to Isaac. He was present tense to Jacob. He's present tense to Moses. Is God present tense to us today? Does God still live? I am. No matter when man lives, God is always there. Man gets old and dies because he's governed by time. But God isn't. God is always present. And then what he's trying to get across here is his timelessness. Same thing Jesus tried to get across to the Jews. Turn with me to John 8. John chapter 8. Jesus trying to explain as God in the flesh how time for him is something that did not exist in the spiritual realms, in the heavenly realms. John chapter 8 beginning at verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. What's Jesus saying? I, as God, was right there when Abraham was there. 
Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? See, they're thinking, what are they doing? They're thinking in terms of time. They're thinking in terms of, you've only been here 50 years. You started... I'm sorry, not 50. You've only been here this many years. They're thinking in terms of years. Okay? He hadn't been there 50, not even 50. They're using that as, as a generality. But the fact is, they're thinking in terms of human time. They say, you're not yet 50. And you've seen Abraham? And then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, what? I am. Years mean nothing to God. Time means nothing to God. He does not operate restricted by time. Even Satan, even Satan is not bound by the constraints of time in the spiritual world. In Luke 4 and verse 5, it says, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. In the temptation, even Satan, as, as this spirit being, lives in a, a spirit world not governed by time. He took Jesus up on this high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms. In a moment of time, all the kingdoms past that had come and gone and risen and gone down. He showed him all the kingdoms. said, all this I will give you. You know, there's a number of passages that also contrast our time-bound and governed earthly life to the beautiful, eternal, spiritual realm beyond where time simply never got started. Where time never began and will never end simply because time does not exist up there. And we see this comparison between these two levels of existence. This earthly, physical existence bound by time. As opposed to that eternal, heavenly existence where time doesn't exist. There's a lot of them. Let me give you just a few, and you'll see the contrast once you start looking for it. Turn to me to 2 Corinthians, would you please? Watch the contrast. 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. Starting at verse 16. Watch the comparison between the earthly, which is bound by time, and the eternal in that realm where time does not exist. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. While we're here on this earth, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Day by day is a time phrase. It, it's time oriented. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, a moment is a measure of time. Here on earth, we're going to have affliction. But this affliction, which is measured in time, is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. An eternal weight, not governed by time. It's not a moment. It's not day by day. It's going to be forever and ever and ever not bound by time. That's the difference. We're looking for that eternal, heavenly. Verse 18. We do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. They're bound by time. Everything you see is one day going to be gone. It's going to end. There's going to come a definite end to it. Your life, your income, the earth, the heavens, everything is going to come to a time where it stops in this realm that we know. That's why we're not to look to these things, but we're to look to the things that are eternal in the heavens because heaven's never going to be governed by that. It's never going to end. Time doesn't exist there. 
We know that if our earthly house, chapter 5 and verse 1, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, that is what? Eternal. This old body, some of our bodies may feel a little older some days than they do other days, and some of our bodies may feel older than somebody else's, but this earthly tent is governed by time. It's going to go. But we have this home that is eternal in the heavens, never going to end. Time can't touch it. Peter has a lot to say about the same thing, too. Turn to me to 1 Peter, would you please? 1 Peter chapter 1. How beautiful heaven must be. 1 Peter 1, beginning at verse 3. Watch the contrast again. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Time cannot touch. Moth cannot eat away. Rust cannot eat away. Our inheritance in heaven never gets old. It can't grow old because time doesn't exist there to govern it. Time doesn't affect it. It is in heaven. It is incorruptible, undefiled. It doesn't fade. You, know, you go out and you buy a new car or you put new siding on your house. And you know, over the years, as time passes, the sun and the rain will fade it. And it will make it lose its luster and lose its shine. Nothing is ever going to take the luster and shine off of our inheritance in heaven. Because time doesn't pass. Wouldn't it be good if you could buy a new car and a and hundred years down the road have your grandchildren have it the same sparkle and shine that it did the day you bought it? Wouldn't that be great if time didn't affect it? You bought one and that was it never wore out nothing? Wouldn't that be great? That's our inheritance in heaven. Because time doesn't affect it. It's, time doesn't exist there. How beautiful heaven must be. We'd look at some other passages of Peter really, really quickly. In this same chapter 1, look at verse 17. Look at the contrast. Verse 17. And if you call on Father, if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Notice, time, your stay here. Earth is bound by time. Boom. There it is again. Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, things that are affected by time, like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. You weren't redeemed with things that can be corrupted by time. Conduct your time here in fear. Because you weren't redeemed with stuff like the life you live, but you were redeemed with the blood of Christ. And that is, that Christ and His whole plan and everything that God had was there before the foundation of the world. It was there before time began. It's eternal. He finally closes out in 1 Peter 5, verse 6. We see this contrast one final time here. It says, in 1 Peter 5, and verse 6, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Casting all your cares on Him, for He cares for you. All of those cares there, those are earthly cares that won't be in heaven, as we discussed at the beginning of this lesson. But all these cares and trials and troubles that we have here are, are things that have to do with time. 
Verse 6. Verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Again, that's here. He's not going to be up there. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Once again, here on earth, time bound. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory, see the difference? This never-ending glory, everything you're going through now, it's going to have an end. It's going to stop. Satan, all of his problems that you're going through and your brother, it's going to come to an end. Because it's governed by time. But there's something waiting for you that, will, that is not governed by time. God has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, that after you have suffered a while, that's a measure of time, a while, after you've gone through this time-bound stuff, that's going to end. God will himself establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion. How long? Forever and ever where you're going to be. Do you see the difference? How beautiful heaven must be. Time will not exist there. Time will not pass there. And as, as we begin to integrate this, this vital biblical truth into our understanding, that time does not affect nor exist in the spiritual realms of heaven or hell like it does here on earth, that makes our understanding of a lot of other biblical truths much more clear and powerful. For example, the word eternity becomes a little easier maybe to understand even though we can't measure it. So we can't measure eternity. That's right because you have to use time and time doesn't exist there. But think about some other things that this helps us to understand. For example, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay? Think about this. The last time that you blinked your eye, whenever that was in the last 30 seconds, from the time that your eyelid closed until it opened, did your personality change? Markedly. Did it? When you blinked, during that split second, did your personality markedly change during that split second? Did it? No, of course not. You didn't change at all. Well, that moment... What if that moment from the time your eyelids started to come down and blink and went up, what if there was a thousand years in between there? Now see, we would change over a thousand years. But see, Christ doesn't because time doesn't exist. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever because time doesn't exist in heaven. Jesus is just the same in the blink of an eye or the passing of, of 10,000 years. He doesn't change because time doesn't exist. And, and that's so important to us because when we start thinking in those terms, Psalm 119 verse 89 says that God's word is forever firmly fixed in the heavens. That's the English Standard Version. Psalm 119 verse 89. God's word is forever firmly fixed in the heavens. That makes perfect sense. Because time doesn't pass. So what that means is that when God commanded something, it's as if he just said it just now. Even though he said it 2,000 years ago, it's as if he said it just now because to him time is not passed. Do you see where I'm going with this? See how that makes sense? If time hasn't passed for God because time doesn't exist, and God says to do something, it doesn't matter how much time goes by down here, that is still in effect as if he just said it because time doesn't matter. We say, well, why does that matter to us? Well, here's why. Because God's requirements and commandments for his son's church today are just as binding and fresh in his mind as if Peter spoke them this morning. Think about that. 
Over the last 2,000 years, there have been all kinds of different religions that have sprung up that are contrary to, to the church we see in the New Testament. The reason those <coughs> don't exist to God is because time doesn't exist. And when Peter opened up the church by saying, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, when they obeyed that... <coughs> Just because we have seen almost 2,000 years pass since he said that to God, it's like he just said it this morning. And it's just as much in effect as if Peter were standing in front of you right now saying, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. It's just as strong and firm in the mind of God, because time hasn't passed in heaven. Think about it. Because there's also a very scary terrible element of this understanding that we must explore as well. This is the, <clears throat> I suppose you'd say the downside, not a downside, but it's, it's the terrifying part of this. And that is the reality of the ever-present appearance and nature of the absolute ugliness of each and every one of our personal sins always before God. You know how sometimes we'll sin and we'll do something we shouldn't do and time goes by and we kind of forget it or time, fear takes the edge off of it. Or Have you ever forgotten, you suppose, any of the sins you've committed? You suppose you have over time? I'm sure that we all have. But the scary thing here is this. We might sometimes, because we're governed by time, we might sometimes have sins, ugliness diminished, or the importance of our sins in our own mind as time goes by sort of dulled. However, to God, who operates above and beyond the existence of time, each and every unforgiven sin is always as fresh and disgusting and abhorrent in God's mind as the very moment we committed them. Now think about, that's the scary side of this. No matter how many years go by, there's no statute of limit. You know sometimes you watch these shows, they have like a statute of limitations on certain crimes. There's no statute of limitations on sin. Every sin that we have committed, if we have not accepted God's grace and, and done that the right way, every sin we have committed is right there before God as if it, would, it, it just happened. Because time doesn't exist to blur them. David hinted at this when he said in Psalm 25 and verse 7, Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. Why? Because David's sins of his youth, no matter how much time went by for David, David's sins of his youth were right there before God because time does not pass for God. That's scary. There is a phrase I want you to write down and remember as the punchline of this entire sermon. And that is this. The passage of time neither negates, neutralizes, nor washes away anyone's sins. Only the blood of Christ and that alone can ever wash away their sins. Let me say it again. The passage of time neither negates, neutralizes, nor washes away anyone's sins. Only the blood of Christ and that alone can ever wash away one's sins. Why is that so important? Here's why. 
I'm not going to get this all exactly as I heard the story. I don't remember all the particulars of the story, but I kind of remember the gist and the point. And so uh, many years ago, I heard a story about a, a man who was a member of the church. And I don't know the sin he committed. I don't know if it was adultery or stealing or whatever it was. But this man fell back into sin, walked away from the church for a number of years. Well, eventually, over the passing of time, many years later, he comes back into the church. And he starts sitting in the back pew, and a few people that recognize him from many years ago go along and say hi and all of this. And, and he begins to be there more often, and, and he had brought reproach upon the church early on uh, with this terrible sin that he would committed, and everybody knew about it. And he sat in the back pew, and, but over the months, and the, the weeks, and the months, and the years that went by, people began to accept him as just part of the normal part of the church. And eventually, uh, he, start asked, he starts being asked to lead prayers and do things, and he kind of does. And I think the way the, the actual story went, at one point, he either, I think he became an elder over the course of time. And then one day, as he's reading or studying or hearing a sermon or something, he comes to understand that he's never actually confessed his sin, confessed the reproach he's brought up on the church. He's never really repented of that sin. And he come to understand that he was still in a wrong relationship with God, even though the church had accepted him. And so he did what he needed to do to make that right. He confessed and he repented and, and the story goes on from there. But, but do you see that even though time passes for us, God exists in a realm where it does not and that has implication. The same can be said for a person who might, might come and, you know, sit for years amongst us and never really respond to the gospel and never really be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. They, they kind of, you know, reject that outright, but they're, you know, they're good and they're, they're doing what they can and they're, they're serving where they can and time goes by and eventually they get accepted by the church folks, you know, down the road as, as one of them. But here's the deal. Just because the church folks accept them as one of them doesn't necessarily mean that, that God does because Acts 2.38 is still as valid in the eyes of God as if Peter delivered it this morning. Because time hasn't gone by. And that person's sins are just as fresh and unforgiven in the mind of God as the day they were committed because that person has not responded to the gospel and had them washed away the way God said, just as if God said it this morning. Despite all the good that person may do in, in years, Isaiah 64, 6, the passage of time neither negates, neutralizes, nor washes away anyone's sins. Only the blood of Christ and that alone can ever accomplish that. Let me ask you a question. Cornelius was a good person, wasn't he? Cornelius served God, prayers gave, Cornelius is a good person. What if Peter had come to Cornelius that morning, told him what he did, the Holy Spirit had not fallen on Cornelius that morning. I realize that was God's plan, but stick with me for a minute. What if Cornelius had said, you know what Peter, I really appreciate what you're trying to do here, but... I, I'm not, you know what, I give of my alms, Acts chapter 10, I, I pray, you know what, I'm okay. If Cornelius had never been baptized for the forgiveness of his sins, would he have ever had his sins forgiven? No. 
each and every one of our countless sins being ever before Almighty God in all of their timeless and heaven-barring ugliness, though that's what makes God's grace such an incredible gift. Because as terrifying as it is that every sin is just as, just as real and legitimate before God as if we just committed them. I mean, like, we still get the blood on our hands. Always. That's what makes God's grace such a beautiful thing when God is willing to take every sin, every timeless, ugly sin before him, just as fresh as if it's just been committed, and he's willing to get rid of all of it and just, just get it completely out of his sight. What, what a beautiful gift that grace is. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Keeping in mind all that I've said, Romans chapter 4. Verse 7 and 8, this is why Paul wrote to the Church of Christ in 1st century Rome, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. If we move to verses 20 and 21 of chapter 4, it talks about how Abraham didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Abraham was convinced. He had faith. As we read through Romans chapter 5, it's all about faith. As we get into Romans chapter 6, it's about the response of faith. It's about obeying from the heart that form of doctrine. That form of doctrine that says we need to be buried with Christ in baptism. We need to put that old man of sin to death and we need to rise up to walk in newness of life from that point on. We don't start walking in newness of life. We don't start walking by, by faith and newness of life and skip the whole baptism part for the forgiveness of sins. There's an order that must be maintained there. Christ could not be raised before he died. And finally, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 22, it tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal, timeless life in Christ Jesus. This morning, in conclusion, Revelation 21, 27 says, of that holy city, there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Neither time, countless good works, nor decades of church attendance, without sincere repentance, humble confession and surely contacting the blood of Christ in Christian baptism for the forgiveness of sins will ever remove one single solitary sin from before God Almighty in a realm where time does not pass to dull them in a realm where time does not even exist to default them the only thing that will override our sins is that we obey God and are baptized for the forgiveness of our sins because we have faith that that's what God said to do. Otherwise, every sin's right in front of him. Nothing else will take it away. Nothing. Jesus said in Revelation 22, 12, and 13, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. In the very next verse, John concluded, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Are you, I'm talking to every one of you, every one of you, are you 
absolutely certain that you have scripturally been cleansed of and had removed from God's ever-present remembrance every single one of your sins, the one and only exclusive way that God demands. Are you absolutely certain? That is initially by having the faith to be baptized specifically for the forgiveness of our sins, and then to continually repent and continually confess our sins when we sin. So that at the end of time, in the end of earth, in the end of days, you can enter that righteous and eternal realm of everlasting joy and peace and sinlessness in the presence of the timeless and eternal God. If there is even one one millionth of one percent of a question, you need to do the right thing. You need to get it answered. You need to obey God. The lesson is yours. If you have a need, will you come to the front as we stand and sing?